Impact of Influence, the tragic story of a powerful South Carolina family and the mysterious deaths that they are linked to. Hi, friend, Matt Harris and Seton Tucker, ready for another episode. And thank you so much for the continued kind words, or even if they're not so kind, but they are some sort of thing that we can do to make this better. We love it. How do they find us, Seton? You can find us on Facebook at Murdoch Podcast or on our website at MurdochPodcast.com. And uh, I'll also take your emails, Podcast at gmail.com. And we had a ton of questions, a ton of comments, a ton of people saying they didn't like what the, uh, the our FBI agent, Bobby Chacon, said. Mostly positive, though. Mostly positive. Like 99% positive. So many were kind of inundated with a lot of messages. I've gotten a ton on Facebook and... We are sorting through those. Yes. And so hopefully the episode after this one will have some of the answers to your questions or confirm or deny the theory that you have on how the, the murders might have went. And we'll keep taking your ideas and thoughts on that and try to sort through them through the social media that we said right there as well. But we did have some legal stuff that we needed to cover before we got to that because it's pretty current. So we thought we would do this first. And so now we bring in our legal analyst of this podcast, a former defense attorney, and he's also on the other side as a former district attorney. He is John Snyder. Uh, good day, John. Good day. How are you guys doing? We're good. We're good. Where do you want to start, Seton? I want to start with the Liz Pendence uh, that was dropped against the Edisto and Moselle properties by Tinsley. Also, just background Island Packard reported this week that the Edisto home is under contract for $955,000, which is $25,000 over asking price, and the sale is contingent upon a judge approving it. Some people have not been with us in other episodes. We should explain first what Liz Pendis is before you uh, talk about the legal part of this specific case. So, John, what is Liz Pendis? Liz Pendis is a formal legal filing it gets filed not only in the courthouse, but also the register of deeds. And it is to let the world know that nobody can buy this property because there's a claim of somebody else on title. Okay. Now, in this specific case, what is happening here? In this specific case, lawyers are erroneously filing Liz Pendices on property, claiming some interest in either the funds that were used to buy the property or how the property was used. But that is not what the remedy is for and is actually going to be why all of these lawyers have to dismiss them. Tinsley did dismiss his uh, Liz Pendens on this property. A few things that I want to talk about is there was a mortgage for 200 and some change from Palmetto State Bank, and they've agreed to withhold late charges and interest to bring that down a little bit. So I guess they'll be the first ones paid? Yeah, they're they're first in line. And, it, and it's kind of like a, we talked before about secured creditors, you know, who, who gets what first. And so the very first people to get money will be whoever has the mortgage on the property. And then the balance of the proceeds will be distributed either to the it, it, normally it would go to the estate 
but here, I'm sure that's all going to be in question. So my guess is that the minute that the house closes and the money is put into escrow of the lawyer doing the closing, there will probably be an injunction filed by Tinsley and others to stop the distribution of those funds. So another question I have, because we know that Alec has denied Maggie's estate. Since it's a marital asset, half would go to him, half would go to Maggie's estate. I know we have a lot of people who are lining up to get money back from Alec. So I was just kind of wondering exactly how it works since he'll owe some and then some goes to her estate. I got to ask a quick question. So if he passed on it, like we've, because we talked about other episodes, he passed on inheriting it from Maggie. So it goes to Buster, his, his son. Then it would be, uh, I guess, half would be Alex and half would be Buster's, right? No, a hundred percent would be Buster's. Oh, a hundred percent would be Buster's. Oh, even though 100%. Alec owns half the property. Even though Alec owns half the property, when he dies, it his half would go to Buster. But here's the kicker: if the disclaiming of Alec is Alex's claim is held up, then a hundred percent of it goes to Buster. I'm confused because right now, as it stands, half is or before she died, it was Alec and Maggie. Maggie dies. A hundred percent went to Alec according to her will. Oh, oh, a hundred percent, not fifty percent. A hundred percent goes to Alec according to her will. Not a hundred percent of her part, uh, part but a hundred percent of the whole thing. Yes. Oh, that's where I was getting oh, okay. confused. I was confused because I was thinking the same thing. Right. So it's a hundred percent goes to Buster. If it's upheld, that he can pass on the inheritance. So Correct. that changes the game, right? On who gets so, what. Okay, so that's that's the next really big legal fight, in, in my estimation, is Moselle sells, Edisto House sells. All that money goes to a closing attorney into their escrow account. That is the point at which... Tinsley's claims can be satisfied as from the monetary damages. Bamberg's claims can be satisfied from money damages, but neither of them have any claim of ownership in the property itself. So, so Bamberg's list pendices, which he's filed, he's claiming his interest because money was taken from his clients and used to purchase these properties potentially. But the court's going to look at him and say, the way to fix that is for you to get money, not to take title. Oh, gotcha. So they're going to say, you can't stop somebody from selling their property, but you can get money when it's sold. Correct. Okay. How does it also come into play the fact that Tinsley back in February added Maggie to amended his complaint in the boating accident and added Maggie to. Well, that's exactly why he did that was uh-huh. to try to to make as many claims, and that's why I think Buster's named in the lawsuit as well. Yeah, Buster was named. Buster was named back in the beginning. They just right. amended it in February to add Maggie. That's that's so that they can 
get their hooks into the into the the assets of her estate. We should point out real quick that uh, we've mentioned Bamberg a couple of times. For those who haven't been with every episode, Bamberg is the attorney of one of Alex's clients who he's been accused of taking millions from. Hakeem Pinkney. Yep. Okay. Next on the legal agenda. Yes. Since we're talking about homes for sale, we also have that Russell Lafitte put his home up for sale. Russell Lafitte is the banker who has been fired from Palmetto State Bank and was accused of aiding Alec in some of his financial crimes. And Bamberg has filed a Liz oh, yeah. pendants against his home. Because uh, Russell was specifically has been accused of being part of Hakeem Pinckney's, the, th- the th- stealing of his funds. Yes. Again, again, I, th- I think we already answered this kind of, if, I, if I'm listening to my favorite legal analyst, uh, <laughs> Bamberg has no right to stop them from selling the place, is what the courts will tell them. But when it is sold, you may be paid uh, once you get in line. That is exactly what I believe and, and believe that Bamberg's going to be told, hey, the law on this is pretty clear. Your your rights are in in law, not in equity. And what that means is we can't give you a portion of the house, but we can give you money. I understand why he thinks he should file that, but it's actually inconsistent with what Tinsley and others have, yeah, you know, they filed and then mm-hmm. dismissed. Mm-hmm. But but again, as soon as those closings occur, that's where the fight really will begin for for both sides on how does this money get distributed. Gotcha. Next up, Seton. Okay, next up, we have an article from the Post and Courier that talks about Palmetto State Bank, which is the bank that Russell Lafitte was fired from and has been accused of aiding... Ellick in some of his financial crimes um, is being investigated by a grand jury. They believe that the FDIC will be involved at some point, but they don't know that for sure. What will the grand jury, you think, be looking at? Is it that the bank should have oversight? Is that what's going to be the main thing? It's going to be two things. One is going to be the general oversight with FDIC and banking regulations, both federal and state. Then they're going to look at from a grand jury perspective of were, was this bank actually a money laundering bank? And because the officers and members of the board were aware of criminal activity and participated in criminal activity, what is the liability of the FDIC insured bank going to be? The Palmetto State Bank Vice President Chad Westendorf was appointed the son's of Satterfield, of Gloria Satterfield's personal representative who was supposed to watch over the money received from the claim. And then Murdoch stole more than $3 million that was provided for the Satterfield family in two different settlements. That's what has been alleged. And that happened on Westendorf's watch. And we have heard that Chad is, Chad Westendorf is cooperating. That doesn't mean that they won't be held responsible when someone's co- uh, cooperating. But that's basically what we're talking about right here. Westendorf has paid $30,000 for serving in that role, and we have heard that he has paid that back. But I'm sure he's in front of the grand jury answering questions. I think he actually said he has talked to federal agents right. and the grand jury in his deposition. Yeah, state investigators, planned. FBI agents, uh, and that he testified for a grand jury. I forgot about that. Yeah. So they say that there's several like 
things that could happen to the bank. They could receive fines. They could also be potentially shut down. Um, but one of the the person that the Post and Courier spoke to did not think that they would be shut down. But there will definitely be some sort of repercussions against the bank. Okay. Yeah. So, so the most likely thing in a analysis from how does the FDIC do this? This has happened. This happens maybe once or twice a year and around the Southeast. And what they'll do is they'll come in and they'll remove all the officers. It's basically like a receivership is appointed by, by the bank, by the, by the FDIC. They put in new officers, a new board, and then the bank continues on with everybody's deposits safe and sound. Take a little break and uh, get you ready for some traveling you've got coming up, some international trip where you want to, be able to at least get around, right? So you want to learn the language of the country that you're going to. You want to experience it with a little bit of knowledge going in. And you can get a lot of bit of knowledge when you use Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop. It can also be used as an app on your phone or tablet. And Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion. Instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals. You read stories, you participate in dialogues, so you are ready to go. It's the most trusted, time-tested app out there. They've been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Buy Rosetta Stone now, and you never have to pay a renewal fee. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Impact of Influence listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 40% off. That's 40% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 40% off at rosettastone.com backslash today. Next up, Seton. So next up, we had a story that broke last week. I guess the co-receivers who are in charge of LX Finances are kind of looking into everything. That's their job. So one transaction that they were looking into was a loan to purchase a funeral home. It was a $100,000 loan. And there was a motion to compel the funeral home to, you know, see if this money had been repaid. Since that time, the motion to compel has been dropped because the funeral home did respond and they did pay back the money that Ellick lent them to purchase the funeral home. It was a funeral home in Brunswick, Georgia. It was under uh, bankruptcy. So they had to get this money very quickly. And they were connected to Ellick. I think in this article from ABC, they say that Ellick had represented them before. And they had a relationship with him. And he just helped them get the funds quickly so that they could purchase this funeral home. And now that they've paid back. But what is also interesting is... We have Russell Lafitte being mentioned again. Russell Lafitte was the banker who formerly worked for Palmetto State Bank. And that could be one reason why flags were raised. Why, why it came to light was because they were looking for anything that Russell Lafitte and Alec Murdoch were involved with. And also have another interesting fact you have found that was reported in ABC News 4. Explain. Yes. So they say there's a possible connection. There is a man named Dion Martin who was one of Alec Murdoch's alleged victims of financial crimes. And it appears as if this person may be related to the owners of the funeral home. They have someone listed 
named Dion Martin as an employee of the funeral home. And also um, Deborah Martin on Facebook has Dion Martin listed as her son. So and Deborah it, Martin is one of the owners of the funeral home? Yes. Okay. She is the wife of John Martin, not John Marvin. There's a lot of similar names. Yes. John Marvin is Alex's brother, John but John Martin. Martin is the owner of the funeral home. But it's possible when they took that loan that they not know that Alec had, if he did, taken money from their son. Right. This loan was back from 2020. So it was before all of the financial crimes really came to out. light. Anything jump out at you about that, John? Anything? No, I think it, I think we're going to see more and more of how many ties all these people had with each other that that were both obvious and clear to people that live down there seem you know befuddling to us that don't. And then, like, well, I thought we were talking about South Carolina. Well, why are we talking about Georgia? And and to kind of understand the geography of they're all right right there next to each other. This family also owned a funeral home in Estill, South Carolina. So this was the second one they were going to own, which was in Brunswick, Georgia. And this home, so they were already in the funeral home business. And in, 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 in right. Alex's area. Yes. And and I think it'd be a fair guess to say maybe Alex was loaning them their own money. Yeah, that's for yeah, that it, could be it, possible. It could be. Without them knowing, maybe. But yeah. Right. This, this forensic accountant, uh, accounting that's going on. More and more, more and more things going to pop up. If they're looking for everything that Murdoch's did and Lafitte did and Westendorf did and on and on and on, that's a lot of paperwork and a lot of things to go through. It's going to take a while to go through all that stuff. It, it'll take a while, but the, the nice thing for all of us in the public is that there'll be answers, there'll be records, and so we'll be able to clearly see what happened. So if money going in and out of the bank we'll find out where it went and it you know we may not know the why but we'll find out how much and where oh and, and the while the while come to light and uh, eric bland the attorney for the satterfields and others uh was on the shrimp tank podcast and in the on that podcast he said that there's a florida woman who I, I believe used to be in uh banking or whatnot within that community down there, Hampton County or somewhere like that, but now is in Florida and she works for the feds and they are tracking all kinds of property that Alec owns and the Murdochs own through various either LLCs or straight up. There's lots of land that could be uh, owned by that is even sometimes it's not even inhabitable, but they are going through that according to Bland on that podcast. Yes, we put a link to the podcast on our Facebook page if you want to listen to it. It's really interesting. The next thing we want to cover is the latest with the journalist Vicki Ward, who I guess you could debate whether she published or not. She put a link up that had pictures of Mallory Beach after the boating accident. And Tinsley is, of course, not happy with that. What is the latest and all the Vicki Ward stuff, John Snyder, you've been reading about it? Tell us what's happening. So there has been a motion to dismiss Vicki Ward from the lawsuit. And the basis of the dismissal is that as a journalist, she has a First Amendment right to publish what's in her possession. And so the attorney that filed the, the motion cites a case that says, 
you can't sue a reporter for reporting what they've been given. You can't say that they're creating intentional infliction of emotional damage when they're literally conveying material that's already been released and uh, isn't isn't subject to you know, confidentiality by a court order. Even if it's leaked to her as a journalist, she's allowed to print leaks. Is that what they're saying? She, she, has, a, she has an absolute right to print leaks. And that would be, you know, so, so any, a, any journalist would say, Hey, this was, this was given to me. I don't have an, there's, there's no obligation for me to not print this. That's a compelling argument. And it's an argument that, that all kinds of people will be using because if the jailhouse tape were found to have been leaked improperly, the people that reported on the content of those tapes will probably be free from any liability for that because, because of the very same principles that's the basis of this motion. Gotcha. So do you think it, she'll be successful? I think she will. I mean, it's horrible that this stuff got released. If I'm the court and I'm the bar, I'm going to want to find out how in the world it got to her. But I do believe that the lawyers that have sued her can find that out through other ways, not her. So there's going to be a digital record, probably by a member of the bar, that shows them emailing it to Miss Ward uh-huh. or giving her a thumbnail drive or something. So there'll be a way to find out who got it to Miss Ward without her having to disclose who gave it to her. So the next thing we have to talk about is there was a lawsuit filed in federal court by Nautilus Insurance Company against Alec Murdoch. And this is the company that Alec had an umbrella policy during the time that Gloria Satterfield sustained her injury at their house. And then died. And uh, subsequently what, what, died. John, what, what do you see when you look through that? So I think I think they absolutely have a claim because they they paid out on the claim and they have they've done their due diligence in in, in their obligations as an attorney and then in everybody in the world's insurance policy is a little thing that says subrogation so that means we might pay out but that doesn't mean we're not going to come back to you for the money and so this lawsuit is the insurance company filing their lawsuit to get in line with all the other claimants against Alec and his and his estate. Why would they think that they deserve the money back? Is that what they're trying to I mean it, they they paid out a damages clause and it appears that it may have been paid out through fraud. And so that would negate their obligation to pay it out. Oh. And it would make Alec liable for the payout amount. So why would this be fraud though? Yeah. Th- because the whole setup and how how the payout went oh. was through deception. So the three million dollars that went into or uh Forbes, whatever the, the Forge. Yeah, Forge. Forge. The, the fake Forge account. Yeah. I mean the the irony. That's that's a jury I know. argument. Forge, Forge, Written. yeah. Forge. I'm gonna I'm gonna name a fake company Forge. <laughs> Not forged by fire, but forged by check. Yes. Um and so that that creates an a right of the insurance company to come after the people that that claimed the money improperly. So instead of going after the damaged party. They're going after the people that made the false claims and, and made the claim yep. in a false way. Gotcha. 
So we know that the coroner has reopened an investigation into Gloria Satterfield's death. Would this impact this case in any way? No, I mean, that those cases are settled and resolved. Checks are written and new boats bought by the attorneys. And, and the family has been made as whole as they possibly could mm-hmm. in this situation financially. This is a new round of cases where all the, all the people that paid out, we have this company, we're going to have Lawyers Mutual or whatever, whoever the malpractice, the firm was. So all the insurance carriers that paid out on these claims, as they should have, are now going to turn around and look at Alec to get money back because they, they, they were payouts based on yep. his misdeeds. So just so you're saying that there's no way that they would go back against the Satterfield family and try to get the money mm-hmm. back from them. Oh, not at all. Those 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 that family that had been done so wrong is 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 okay and they're they don't have anything to worry about in that regard. Oh, also just my last question about that is what is the insurance company's obligation to make sure that the money goes to the right do, do they have an obligation to make sure the money goes to the right people? They'll tell you that there was a settlement document given to them. I mean, I, I think they, I, that's a, that might be a good question for, for Bland or Tinsley. But again, even, even if you sued them, they're going to turn around and interplead and bring in Alec into a lawsuit like that to say the only reason we paid out, or if we paid out erroneously at all, it was as a result of his fraud. I just wanted to say, one of our reviews that recently came up, I just thought you would find this funny, was someone said, oh, John Snyder needs his own podcast. I'm not sure about those other two, which I thought was, <laughs> I was like, good for John. Well, that, that was super sweet of that one listener. And, uh, yeah. And and maybe maybe we can oblige that. I'm glad that your uh, your wife is writing reviews, John. <laughs> it's more likely to be my dog. I don't think I'd get True. that many stars at home. Valid point. <laughs> I know the feeling. All right, man. We'll talk soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. See you, John. Thank you. Right. Bye. All right. Reminder: We mentioned at the beginning of this episode is that our next episode we're going to dive into some of your questions about the interview we had with former FBI agent Bobby Chacon. We're going to dive into some of your theories about what happened the night of the double homicide of Maggie and Paul Murak. And we're going to find out whether or not some of the emails and, and comments we got were legitimate. Because some of them are crazy. They're out, you know, they're, they're, people are coming through. I like it. <laughs> You've seen some things on there that, uh, and some private emails that you're like, hmm, interesting. How do they find us? You can find us on Facebook at Murdoch Podcast or on our website, which is MurdochPodcast.com. And Matt here is podcast at gmail.com if you want to go that way. And we'll talk soon. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. 
Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.